Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Welcome into another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Today we have Ryan Buchanan rejoining us for his second episode, probably the last preseason episode we do with the uh, the old QB before we get into uh, his regular regular weekly spot during the uh, season. So everything's coming close. We talked about the uh, traction, or uh, I guess lack thereof, in the quarterback competition, what it's like exiting camp into a normal kind of school week practice routine, uh, what he thinks will happen as far as addressing the quarterback situation, playing two into the season, kind of weighed out all different scenarios. And then really just kind of spitballed. I fired some questions at him about the uh, Hugh Freeze era, what it was like being a part of that 2013 signing class and some other stuff as we wind down preseason mode and get into the season. So I think you'll enjoy the pod. I enjoyed the conversation. Looking forward to a fun season with my man, Ryan Buchanan. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to remind you, podcast is brought to you by MIMS Insurance. Matt MIMS is an independent insurance agent based in Oxford, He's going to help you find the best rate possible. Everything is expensive right now. Gas is expensive. Food's expensive. Everything. Inflation's at an all-time high. Not a political pod, just a fact of life. You don't need to settle and lose further money and leave money on the table when it comes to your insurance. Matt Mims is an independent insurance agent based in Oxford. His whole job is you call him. He shops your quote around, whatever it is you need insured, house, car, boat if it's a boat congrats on your boat that's pretty sick anything you need insured you tell him he shops around to 10 different agencies finds the best price finds the best fit for you and boom job's done takes the hassle out of insurance he's helped so many people across the state of mississippi operations are booming he just got a little bit of help hired another agent over there in the uh in vicksburg things are exploding because people trust matt mims and you should too he's a good friend of mine i wouldn't send you to someone I don't trust, wouldn't do business with someone I don't trust. He's going to make getting things insured easy for you. All you have to do is call him at 601-218-7854. That's 601-218-7854. That's his cell phone number. Answers all the time. That is not some uh, you know automated line he's going to pick up, and he's going to help you out. Tell him I sent you. He will get you hooked up. That is MIMS Insurance there. In based in Oxford, but all across the state of Mississippi. His reach is from the coast all the way up into the Memphis area. He can help you out, whatever you may need. Go check him out. Mims Insurance there in Oxford. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. You need to check these guys out. They're the best in the business. Football season is right around the corner. Don't lose money this year. Go on right online right now. Buy the season pass for both the NFL and college football and profit with Skybox. Make this one an actual fun one. Get a little expendable income going over the next couple months because they're going to lead you to profit more consistently than yourself, your own brain, or anyone else in the industry. You will lose money in the long run unless you go with Skybox. It's pretty much... That's simple. They hit it 60% on the NFL last year. They're absolutely crushing it in NASCAR. They went plus 34.85 units in a weekend in NASCAR, including a plus 2,500 outright winner a couple weeks ago. Mark Harris and the guys at Skybox NASCAR are crushing it. And pretty soon, for Skybox customers, NASCAR is about to come free. 
become free. Just a free part of you signing up. How about that? Free 34-unit weekends on deck for you in the future. They're the best in the business. You need to go to skyboxsportspicks.com, check out the picks package, find the best one that fits your price range. You can try it for a day, week, month, all sports, particular sport. I'd recommend just going with the year-long all-access pass. It's going to pay for itself and then some. And then, boom, you're on the way to watching sports and profiting for a change and not having the bookie text you on Sunday night asking you to square up adding to your Sunday scaries. You have a couple more days. So through August 17th, you can, any, if you buy a picks package on the site, if you buy the football package or the, or excuse me, if you buy the NASCAR package through August 17th, which it's about to be free. So only a couple days left on that one. You will be entered into a chance to win the NFL and NCAA four week package for free. So you're going to get a month of NCAA and NFL picks. If you're selected in this drawing for free. So before Skybox NASCAR, becomes free to the people you can buy a short four-week pass probably get reimbursed on that and then enter into a drawing to win the nfl and ncaa football packages check them out they're still running the code natty for 50 percent off and the rippy code r-i-p-p-e-e gets you 20 percent off go check them out if you have any questions holler at me they're the best in the business skybox sports picks all right here is ryan buchanan all right, we now welcome on former MAIS South All-Star team starter. I believe that was the winter of 2012. Ole Miss quarterback. It is Ryan Buchanan. I don't have a name for this segment yet, but it is sponsored by MIMS Insurance. Go check out our friend Matt MIMS, independent insurance agent on the square. Um, I'm going to run out of creative ways to pull the MIS into your intro, but uh, we're still we, – I still got a couple more in the arsenal. How are you, man? Doing good, man. They drive me up. They still keep coming up with them. That one makes me laugh right there. The uh, I can't even like shake it now. It's too much of my brand. You know, like Deion Smith, I think dropped out of junior college the other day, and I had people tagging me on the board, like, "What's up with this JA grad?" So I, I'm now just fully representative of the MIS Shield. Um, if they want to put me on their payroll, that would be sweet. But uh, for the time being, I guess I'll just keep plugging along. You uh, fresh back from New Orleans? Kind of back into the swing of the work week. We uh we've got camp winding down. We got a couple of different topics to uh to get to, and I guess we'll start with this. So they've ended camp now, and when I was covering Ole Miss full time, maybe I'm wrong. Did you guys always have two weeks between the end of camp and school? I thought it was just one, or the end of camp and the season. I always thought it was just one. Maybe it's a calendar thing, but the the camp ending this weekend threw me off. Two weeks before a game. Yeah, I, I remember it being one week. I mean, I had yeah, like that's what I thought. three days to go somewhere. I mean, you're not really – I don't – I mean, they say a week, but, I mean, my gosh. It, I remember just like going down the beach just to get away from football for the first time, like from spring, summer, and whatever, three days, and then came back, and then it's going into full season practice. But I remember it being like three or four days. Maybe it's different now. Maybe there's okay. kids more time. Yeah, and it's probably just one of those deals where, like, sometimes the school schedule works out that way versus when they start. Because, obviously, you can't have a normal fall camp deal when guys have classes and stuff, right? Like, you don't really get – Yeah, no, you can't. And it's it's like – I mean, it's, you know, wake up at 7, leave the facility like 9 p.m. So, you, you don't really – yeah, there's no way you could throw class in there. So, I guess we'll hit the big news off the top. And the big news is actually that there is no news. Um, Kiffin had a press conference today. Um, their first one out of camp, like we mentioned, they wrapped it up with their second scrimmage of preseason camp. Now they're in the normal kind of weekday practice mode. I guess this would be sort of bye week ish this week where you don't actually have a game Saturday, but it's kind of your normal school week practice schedule. And really the big takeaway out of that was Kiffin was obviously asked about the scrimmage and the quarterbacks. And 
He didn't give a ton of detail. And he also said that there's not much traction. They still don't know who the guy is. You know, again, this is all public facing. They could actually have an idea, but I honestly tend to believe him. It sounds like that when a, one guy has a good day, he'll follow it up with a not so good day. And then another guy will have a good day and have an inconsistent day. So I do believe him at general kind of face value that no one's really separated himself at this point. So I'll throw it to you at this point in camp, when you guys got out and you were kind of into your regular season uh, practice schedule or toward the end of camp, even though they may not have made a decision yet, can you sense internally where the thing's probably headed? Because just from talking to a couple people and kind of getting reading the tea leaves, it seems like there's a sense, but it's not certainty. Could you kind of feel that going through camp, whatever year it was? I mean, I always use you and Kelly as the example in 15, but whenever, like, can you kind of sense how it's going to go? Yeah, um, I, I feel like you can. Um, and Kiffin's, of course, not going to say anything. Most head coaches want. I mean, it would be really a slap in the face if, if he did. You know, if he said, yeah, Jackson's our guy. He won camp. Nice. We're giving him first team reps. It's like, that's kind of like, it's hard to really go all in and get excited for the season if I was like in Luke's position or vice versa or whatever, you know, happened. So they're going to keep cards to the chest and keep try to keep their guys motivated. I mean, especially through this week and then show up to fall camp refreshed. But typically when you start, you know, watching film and scheming, when the coaches start putting in an offensive scheme for whoever you're playing that first week, um, typically like Sunday or Monday, they'll say, hey, like we're, we're rolling with him. He's going to take first team snaps this week, you know, whatever. It's not over, which is true. I mean, it's not like what if a guy just throws two or three picks versus a really bad team that got like a ton of reps, you know, not just one drive, but like had 10 drives or something like that. So, yeah, you, I mean, again, they don't know how a guy will be in a game. I mean, again, like I said on, on the other week pod, like it's, it's a lot easier going against a real live team compared to your defense that you've been playing every single day and they know what you're doing. They know how to watch receivers and man covers, what route they're running, et cetera, et cetera. So you definitely should, you know, for our, I want to say layup games, but our non-conference games should perform pretty darn well. But again, like that wouldn't be a good smart coaching decision to just put that out to the media. But I do think you could, I guess you could probably feel it. I mean, you can see who kind of got, you know, more reps uh, and, and who they got reps with at scrimmages. Again, like if you're getting more reps with the ones and, and top guys, a better offensive line, you would kind of think and then do real well you have guys get open you got more time and you perform real well I typically think you could kind of know that but it all depends whenever you know we go into after this break period to say who has first team reps and you'll see that from the media you know I guess on probably Tuesday I may have asked you this last time I can't remember but when one of the fascinating discussions that I know Weldon and I've had a couple times and it's kind of been the big topic of debate is and Lane, I believe Neil actually asked Lane this today. Is have you broached the idea yet of playing two guys in the first two games? And this is something I've written about a couple of times throughout the offseason. Where I honestly I thought it might go into the season to where, like, you know, because you do kind of have those two, we'll call them layup games because if they lose to Troy or Central Arkansas, we got bigger problems on our hands. Let's just call it what it is. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. So, can you play the two? Can you play the two in those games and kind of just see what it looks like? Like you mentioned against like a real, like a real opponent, a real deep, not real opponent, but a real defense. That's not your own defense, but Weldon started bringing this up toward the start of camp. And I tend to agree with this line of thinking is they would prefer that not to happen. They would prefer to go with the guy and that be their guy. 
do you kind of subscribe to that line of thinking that they would be better off if they name a guy in the next week or so, and that's the guy that you're going to get first team reps versus alternating back and forth? Because particularly the amount as much new there is on this team on all sides of the ball, receiver, wherever you want to point, like seemed like it'd be hard to get in a rhythm with two quarterbacks. Do you think that's doable or would you think that they should kind of pick a guy and go with it from game one um, and just roll from there? I think I've never been a proponent of a dual quarterback system. Okay. Never have. Okay. Most guys have it. But I say that again, we're, we're not starting off the Florida state right here. Okay. Let, right. Let's, we're not playing some opening Chick-fil-A bowl versus the high – I mean, uh, you know, Boise State, like what we did in 14. So, different situation. I think you definitely can, but it can't be structured in the way you go, one series this guy, one series that guy. you got to be in some rhythm. If you notice a corner was biting on the last – like, you might not have thrown that quick hitch, but you can kind of see – you know, check your eyes after that play. Your receiver comes back to you, like, you just kicked a field goal, drove down, he's like, dude, he is absolutely biting. All right, let me put the other guy in. Like, you didn't really feel that out. You kind of need another drive to, to, to look over there, you know, maybe do a read option and after you hand it off, check over that corner, something like that to, to say, okay, now I'm going to do a hitch and go, slow go, something like that. So I think you can, um, you know, but you also can't go one guy, go five series in a row and go four touchdowns and then go up 21, 24, nothing, whatever, and then give guy – you know, another guy, one drive, and then go back to the ones. Like, you can't really do it that way either. But splitting reps-wise, preparing for the first game, look, there's going to be a lot of eyes on, you know, I guess Ole Miss this year after last season. So, I think you need to ride with a guy in week one reps. And don't, compl- like, when you have a two-minute drill, give both guys shots at that. But when you're, like, putting in your plays and putting in your routes, I think you can go with the one guy. But I still think, you know, if you're structuring a true backup and you're not really fighting for a backup or trying to keep one guy from transferring as a back, you know what I mean? Like playing that political game, the number two guy can get enough reps to where he can feel comfortable. If they give enough reps going into that first week that he should get, you know, maybe 40% or six, like 60, 40 of the guys that practice with the ones, I think really would be fine. But like, don't give the backup guy when you go up 28 to nothing or three or something like that. Like, and then you put in a 13, you still got to give your one with that backup. It makes a very, very big difference. You cannot put in a third string left tackle that misses the block and then expect that backup just to do greater. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think you can split it, ride with a guy, give it the, you know, whoever he likes the most, let him take first team reps and maybe go something around 60, 40, give, he, give each guy two drives, maybe two or three drives, depending on what happened on that drive. I mean, if there's a fumble, hey, give him another one. Like kind of play as it goes. But I think, uh, but it doesn't need to be, take one guy to the red zone, put another guy in. It, it doesn't need to be like that. So that's kind of my thought. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And another interesting point you made there, which is why we're having you on the pod, is the is you mentioned the part I never would have thought about something like this. If you get a drive and you alternate drives, it doesn't even actually really matter to the opponent. It's really even just from your own like individual and collective success too – is if you have one drive, I think you mentioned like the corner biting on something. Well, if you don't have the ability to go back in the next drive, that screws up the entire deal, right? Like, I mean, look, exactly. in opening drives of games all the time. It's like two boxers feeling each other out a little bit. It's like, all right, what are they actually showing us type of deal? And if another guy comes in for the second one, that would seem like it would screw up the whole thing. Obviously, you can get away with that when it's, you know, Troy or Central Arkansas or whatever. But I imagine just even individually what you're trying to see from both guys, it does them a disservice a little bit to have them play one drive and then sit and then go back out. 
a driver too later. Like I've never thought about even just the visual aspect of it because yeah, like Dart's gonna Dart, Dart and Altmaier are going either one are gonna tear up Troy. That's not really the point. It's getting into a rhythm because you're gonna have to do that same thing against an Alabama three games later. The process of identifying mm-hmm. that type of stuff is the same even when the opponent's not inferior, right? And look, look at this too. Who let's say some guys that. You know, the thing is, too, play calling. Like, you put in one guy four drives in a row, and you're going an RPO on first down, a safety bites down, you throw, like, a deep slant or a skinny post, bang eight. Like, those are tight plays that you put in to go score. You let a guy have all those plays to where you're going, it's second and three, and, like, let's take a shot. Like, you give him those plays, and he's taking another guy, and it's like, all right, we're up 24 nothing. Let's run the ball three times put ourselves in a third and nine situation and then call a play to where like, look, I know it's central Arkansas or Troy. This isn't an, you know, MIS school over here. Like these guys are still good. That would be they, tough. They call a quarters or, or a drop eight coverage. And you, you know what I mean? Like it's third and 10, you're like, go complete something. But like you weren't given those scoring opportunities and like to really push the ball as if you were the one starter. So it just, look, it, it's, there's a lot of different variations. You can make it happen. And I also think a good point, like for any school, do it the way, hopefully I suggest, to give guys both opportunities to score points with your one and two offense, like, or at least mix some guys in there and, on, and see who can really, really score, not just one guy score and one guy, you know, run the ball or just whatever. But let's say you do go in Alabama or something goes wrong, gets hurt. If that guy, the backup, whoever they name as a backup, really did not run with the ones, really did not, you know, try to push the ball. It was just like manage the clock and then that's about it and try to throw something and drop eight in a perfect four vert. Like, it's probably a smart idea since you have these five or six games right here to like, you may, you may decide to start her, but if you're a smart coach, that back is very, very confident if he ever has to come in for a play in a bigger game. So, yeah, you make a good point in that aspect of it, too. And this is all obviously like talking hypothetically if they were to go into the season, right? I think obviously Mm -hmm. the most ideal scenario is they're like, nope, this is our guy, and they roll with him. But even like you mentioned, probably you're going to kick the shit out of the first two teams anyway. Give the backup guy a little bit of run with the one, even if it is kind of that blowout scenario. Because like you mentioned, they're both unproven, and you never know. As far as the process of that, whenever it happens, and I know you only had it happen like one time and you only played for free. So I get that it's only one staff and they probably handle it somewhat yeah. differently. But as a guy that played D1 football and probably knows a bunch of other people that did too and kind of have been in the mix there, what's kind of the standard operating procedure of, of announcing this thing? Do they bring you and the other guy in the same room and say, hey, we're going with X or we're going with Y? How is that actually handled making the decision? Um, at least for us, again, this is just my <laughs> one-time experience, you know, excuse me, Freeze brought us in a room and said, look, we're going with Chad just for this first week. You can get first team reps, but, you know, Ryan, we're going to, you know, you'll get second team reps. I want you to prepare as a backup, you know, in case, you know, we switch things up later down the road. I think that's a good political thing to say. I think the way they split those reps were kind of, was kind of the first scenario I mentioned is that. You know what I mean? Like, we're yeah. rolling it. Hey, it worked out. Like, we put up a lot of points, and that's anyway, everything worked out. Um, but yeah, he just said, Look, we're rolling with them. And it's just like, you got to, you know, swallow it and be like, All right, like, do I give up? Do I really give a shit anymore? Like, you know, you just got to accept it. But at the same time, like, I think most guys understand that, look, like, I've worked 
I'm not giving up hope. Like I'm still going to work my butt off. You know, like I, I, I don't care. I'm still going to work my butt off. I don't, I would tell myself as a backup, I don't know what could happen. And again, like we got to the Alabama game and had that crazy situation. Like it, you, you just don't know. So, but yeah, they called us in and just sat us down and told us. That piece of it that you just mentioned, I thought it was fascinating when we discussed it last time too, is like, Obviously, you know, when you hear that kind of news, it's awkward. I mean, like I've been, this is probably not the exact same thing, but like I've been laid off from a job before. Like I had the super talk radio cut. There's no like natural way to handle that or act in the moment. Like you just sit there with no expression, I imagine, but you're just burning up on the inside. It's any, anytime. You oh, read, it's, yeah, it's burning, man. Yeah, exactly. Sure. It, like there's no weird, like there's no, my point being is there's no like natural way or good way to like receive news like that. But for guys like you, like, like you mentioned, one, it's not set in stone. I mean, think about Zach Calzada last year. Haynes King gets named the starter. He snaps an ankle, you know, five quarters into the season. And now Zach Calzada, that's the guy the rest exactly. of the way. So you can't give up. But I'm just curious, how hard is that just in the immediate reaction to battle that? Because, like, I would be pissed as hell, too, about, like, you know, just receiving that news. Like, how long do you let it linger? Did you give it a 24 hours where you were pissed off about it? Or did you kind of have to do it immediately? I just uh, – I'm curious, like, what that emotional struggle is like to be like, one, I'm super pissed about how this turned out, but two, I've got to stay in this because it would be super, one, immature, but also foolish to just check out in that moment. Yeah, I mean, that's you, I mean, look, like, you're not going anywhere. Like, yeah. you're literally going to play a game in four days. Like, you're, you're not – I mean, I don't think you're not going anywhere. I don't I – don't, and you shouldn't be accepted by another school if you did, honestly. <laughs> but – I mean, that's pretty that, – that's not too mentally tough there. But I, I think, like, yeah, I mean, look, it's pretty darn devastating. And, 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 and you know what you work for. But it's also, like, a side. It's like, I know I can do this. I know what I've showed. You don't really question your ability. Like, I'm not as – personally, for me, it's like I know what I could do and what I do better and what I don't do is good. But, like, I know where I can be successful if I'm given the right keys and the right, you know, situations. Like I know what I can do, honestly, right here. So like, I'm still going to go work to beat them out. I mean, in, in the sense, like maybe that was foolish for thinking that, that like, I'm not, I'm, I, I can still win this out, but you know, the, you know, obviously you'll see once like, you start winning some games, like you don't, you just don't get the reps. I mean, you just, you just don't really get as many reps, you know, the game plan, but you don't get hardly any reps with your guys at all. And, and then look, but like, I've also talked to guys on, that played at Alabama that have been in a quarterback room on scholarship guys. Like he prepared them as if they were the darn starters. Like Mac Jones sat behind there, I think behind Tua. Um, and, and of course he behind Jalen at first. And like they were, he prepared him to absolutely go out and steal a show. Freeze didn't like freeze didn't know. He was just like, Oh, whatever. You know, he just didn't even have that mentality, but I know guys and talk to guys. Um, from doing quarterback training, like how many reps he gave them, even they were like second strings. Like they, he was preparing them to absolutely take over a game. And that just wasn't, at least that wasn't like the freeze mentality in, in a sense. Like it was kind of like whatever, if it happens, it happens. And that kind of shows is, I mean, this is a conversation for another day. We could go way deep down this rabbit hole, but his inexperience as a head coach, because I imagine in the long run, I'll never forget. I was standing on the sideline in 2018 watching Ole Miss and Alabama warm up. And there was this big ass dude that almost looked like he had a dad bod type of guy. And it was the third quarterback. I can't remember who Alabama starter was that year, but I knew the, was it the, was maybe it was the Hertz Bryce Young deal. I can't remember. But the third guy, I was like, who the hell is this dude? Like he's massive. He looks like he could have a kid. Like, what, what's this guy's deal? And I was like, I looked it up. I was like, oh, Mac Jones, consensus four-star. Like, this program just 
absolutely craps out four-star blue chip prospects. But beyond that part of it, you mentioned preparing guys that they have to play. I imagine that had to work to Mac Jones's advantage when he finally did get his opportunity to whereas if he had not gotten those reps, like you mentioned over those last two and three years and prepared like a starter, he probably wouldn't have been as effective in his dynamic when he actually became the starter as everyone thought he was a placeholder starter. And then he lit it up and almost won a Heisman. Yeah. I mean, look, I think, you know, guys can be good on a board, um, knowing plays, knowing coverages, what to do on different looks. I mean, I felt like that was something I never really struggled with. I mean, I could always get up there and some guys like ahead of me or, you know, man, like, well, what was that again? Like I, I could do that. I could write on the board. And I definitely think Mac is like that to an even higher degree. Why he's doing, had such a good rookie year, but I, you know, probably the reps that they prepare a second and third string guy, they're going against again, that depth chart two and three levels down in Alabama. And if they actually like have enough players to separate and get, you know, a lot of live reps, like your actual game plays that you're putting in for that week, not just running like scout team or not just running like, you know, really not even getting them, you know, getting one or two snaps compared to like a full drive. Like I think in the competition that he went with on a very deep depth chart and, and, you know, national championship Alabama team on top of actually knowing your plays, like he probably felt very comfortable getting in there. Yeah, for sure. And so just kind of moving on to some general thoughts I had about like this time of year, I always find like the lead up to the season fascinating in a number of senses. When you leave camp, I imagine one, you guys are tired as hell of hitting each other and scrimmaging against each other and practicing each practicing against each other and all those cliches. How like do the last like six, seven days or 10 days, I guess they're a little, a little under two weeks now. Do those drag like in terms of the season actually getting there? Because I just imagine, cause you, the, your sophomore year, was the Boise game your mm-hmm. freshman year was Vanderbilt and that wasn't that wasn't you know your typical Vanderbilt that's James Franklin they had that role and that was an incredible football game particularly when you have an opponent like that like do those last like 10 five to ten days just drag by before it gets there I just can't imagine being in it in the anticipation of it dude yeah I mean it drags by I mean but those you know luckily we're playing a little bit earlier on that Thursday which yeah. is nice um but, yeah, you can ask any football player that's ever played, man, probably college football anywhere. It doesn't really matter, you know, what D1 school or, honestly, D2, whatever school or whatever conference, in my opinion. Like, the first three days or I think – I mean, first day or two is not that bad. I'd say three through, like, five, like, this is getting long. You know, your body is destroyed. You sleep really, really good at night when you wake up at six and you go through 110-degree practices and you leave at nine, and you go straight back to bed. So, like, when you do the same schedule and you don't see the outside world for almost 14 days, like, you don't you don't see – I mean, I didn't see anyone else. Most of my friends didn't that, you know, that played. It's like you forget what day it is. I mean, I was thinking – I remember Fridays, and it was a Monday and a Wednesday, and it's Saturday because it's the same freaking thing. There's no, like, off for a weekend or, like, you know, in high school, you may be off on Wednesdays. It is the exact same thing every single day. Like, I kind of lost track of it, honestly. By, like, the last two or three days, I'd be a couple of days off. And can you sense – I was looking back at some of the 2013 and 2014 stuff earlier. Can you sense when you guys – so this, is, this isn't an apples-to-apples scenario, but, like, this team is replacing a quarterback, which is kind of what they were doing as you guys were going into 15. But regardless, there's talent on the roster – some of it's unproven and you've kind of, it feels like they've been building for this last year. They had a 10 and two years. So like, it's kind of trying to get back to that, 
But, like, can you sense it when you guys are good? I know that sounds like a simplistic question, but, like, in 14, for example, y'all went 7-5 and five plus the bowl win. And I know the next year, uh, the injuries or whatever, kind of, the record didn't really t- lend itself to how good that team was in 14. And you guys were absolutely made an impact on the college football playoff and were absolutely in the mix deep into that season. Can you sense that in the preseason at all? Like, I know everyone probably has solid expectations, like, oh, we're going to be good, we can surprise someone. But when you're actually good, can you sense it in camp? I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, everybody, I remember in 14 and same thing in 15, it's like, and I think if you know if you have some really good players that might have had a good recruiting class and no one's, you know, failing out of school, even though yeah. they might have been a five-star, like everyone's actually bought in with the right mentality and has the talent to play on that level. And they might, again, like a lot of these guys played in 2013 as freshmen and we went seven and five, but like now they're ready for season two. So in 14, we knew we had the talent to stack up with people, but like personally, I mean, we're just, we have the number one scoring defense in country in 2014 with Trey Elston and Cody Pruitt. Like those are the two safeties I would watch all the time. And like, I'm almost thinking, not saying I'm not good, but like I could be better. Like, you know, yeah. I should beat them. And like, but they're the number one scoring defense. They had the most picks. Like, they were unbelievable. So it's like when you go against really good competition, I mean, I guess maybe if you do that all the time in Alabama and you know the history of Alabama, you're going to beat a lot of people. But like at that time, and that was so new for Ole Miss having this kind of talent, like we were so hard on ourselves. It was like, I personally, I think other guys, like, we're not scared of Alabama. We think we can beat them, but we didn't really know how good you are. And then 15, you, you definitely, because we had a couple of those big games, like we knew how good we are. We came out, put up 70 points. So if you have all the keys working, now you get late in the season, you have a couple of big injuries. That's that's when you get a little shaky. But like definitely early in the season, I would say 15, we knew we were better. 14, we were so hard on ourselves, we didn't know how good we were until a couple of those games. But it was never in the case that I was like, oh, we're, we don't think we can play with them. When we got on the field, it was like, oh, yeah, I mean, we, we can beat them. And I think Ole Miss recognized that this year. You know, we might not might not have had top three recruiting classes on that ten and two year, but we had you know obviously an unbelievable quarterback with us and had the right guys in the right positions. And Kiffin has a great play caller. I mean, holy, we beat LSU, I and mean, we beat you know LSU obviously was down compared to years past. But I, I think it's for us. We knew it was there by the second year, but definitely the first year was like we were just so hard on ourselves. We just didn't really know how good we were. So it was good talent going against good talent every day. Part of the reason I asked that, because Weldon brought this up on our last Sunday show. So he was a freshman in 2014. That would have been our sophomore year. I was at that game in the Georgia Dome against Boise State. But Weldon was kind of new to the Ole Miss football thing. Obviously, he grew up in Baton Rouge, went to LSU games. He was like, I remember watching that defense in the first half and was like, holy shit, who are these guys? Because there were five or six hits in that first half. I'll never forget it, too. I remember, and I knew exactly what he's talking about. I was like, oh, my God, these guys, Cody Pruitt, um, I think Sidarius Bryant had one too. I was like, these guys are Sidarius had a big one, and then Denzel. And it was like, it weren't, yeah. I mean, it was, this team in yeah, Orange, like, right. might not make it out in one piece out of this night. Like, they, from that point, you mentioned they ended up having the number one scoring defense. Did you guys kind of know after that night, all right, these are some bad dudes on this defensive side of the ball? Some of those hits in that yeah. game, I'd forgotten about it. I went back and watched a YouTube video this weekend, absolutely nuts. Yeah, I mean, then you have Mike Hilton too thrown in there, yeah. Freaking killed in the NFL. It was, I mean, it was, it was kind of kind of crazy. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we both had respect for one another a lot. And then, you know, with our scheme that Breeze ran, I mean, it's so funny the same play that keeps coming up. It's just a one high look, backside slant. It was to Cody, Cody uh, oh, my gosh, Cody Court. And, you know, went 75 yards. It was just 
one step, throw a slant, 80 yards. He was at the right play call at the right time with what they were giving us. You know, then you like, well, this is, you know, we can put up points here. Like, I mean, it, it, you, you do realize, I think you do start realizing that for sure. But it, uh, it was pretty neat to see, I guess. Yeah, it wasn't like some cocky attitude like we're going to beat everybody. But at the same time, we're like, we expect to win. Yeah, for sure. And like, because I, I was looking this up earlier, I always forget because my brain doesn't work correctly that you were a part of the 2013 class. For whatever reason in my mind, when all those guys committed, yourself included, I always thought we were in college. Like, I always think I remember sitting at the KA house watching that on television, but that actually wasn't the case because if you go by like age and birth certificate and all that, we were actually very much in <laughs> high school. I don't know why it's always a year off in my mind. What was it like being a part of the class? Because that is still probably the most famous recruiting class in Ole Miss history. I know you grew up an Ole Miss guy. I know you'd obviously never been a part of another like recruiting class, kind of a one-time deal, or at least you hope so. The like, what was that? Was that different? Like, could you sense that was different? Because when that class showed up on campus, it was like, wow. Like, what was that like being a piece of that? How often did you guys communicate? Just kind of take me through being a part of such a historic recruiting class. Yeah. So I mean, there was like there was a lot of pieces that fell into the right puzzle on that. I think a lot of people can't agree. Um, and there definitely was a lot of us talking that to, to get each other, like you commit here, I'll commit there. Like I'll feel more comfortable about going to a place like an Ole Miss compared to Michigan or Georgia at the time. It's just your bigger. Is that like a group school. chat? When you say y'all are talking to each other. I mean, I just, I, we didn't really have one, but like, I, okay. you know, I knew Laquan, I knew Evan, I knew a couple of these other guys. I got to know Laramie late and, and a couple of, you know, but like I didn't talk to Robert. Robert kind of kept himself with his brother. But like I think we weren't going to get we weren't going to get a Robert Kondichi unless you had Denzel Kondichi. Like let's just be honest. I mean, but having the number one player in America at the time sign with you really that kind of gets people going. And I remember Laquan was a big signing. He came to the Texas game and we got absolutely blown out by them in 2012. Um, and anyway, so you know we got blown out by them and I remember sitting at that game as a recruit with Laquan and, uh, and just telling him like, you know, man, like, and I, I, we could actually do something special here. We could, we, we could have a lot of top guys come here. Robert's coming here. You could actually be remembered here compared to going to, you know, USC or other places that, you know, they've had a lot of great players and a lot of great wide receivers come through that, you know, like you can be remembered in a place like Oxford because people aren't used to having a five-star guy out of South Chicago sign here. That just doesn't happen. They also had, you know, Tony Connor in South Panola that didn't want to go anywhere else. He was always coming here. Um, we got real lucky that there happened to be a five-star over there. And then you see, um, you see Laquan Treadwell knows Tony Connor's coming, and then who knows Robert Candice's coming. There's three five-stars. Um, and then, you know, I, I talked to some of these guys, and I was – you know, they respected me for what I was ranked in different things and respected my view. And I talked to Tony, too, and I was like, he said he was going to commit here, even though they wanted to wait. Um, and then Laramie was kind of – that was a Chris Kiffin deal. I think you start seeing other guys commit, and then Chris did a really good recruiting job on him. Um, you know, I'm not saying I convinced Laquan, but, like, I really worked oh, yeah. to recruit him very much that night after getting blown out by Texas, which is fine. The next year we go to Texas and, and beat them, like – which so like that, that really worked out and a good decision for him. But um yeah, I mean then Quincy came Quincy came on official visit the weekend where you know we were all at the library and like freaking jumping on stage with everybody and you know all that like everybody's in town that big recruiting weekend and told Quincy like 
you know, you're going to have a big offense here. You're going to have Laquan on the other side and like, you know, switching from A&M. So that worked out. And then it was, I mean, I went, it was somewhat structured, you know, at the same time. And like one guy commits, it can be a, you know, a snowball effect. And it's just crazy how it happened. But like, you know, having, having Tony Connor as a five-star top safety and having Robert committed as a number one overall player like that gave other guys some more confidence, I would say. Yeah, for sure. And like, it was an interesting class, like, a kind of cast of characters in that class. And I never really thought about that until you kind of really start writing it down. And you're like, cause like Ole Miss did their damnedest not to let us show it. But like Laramie's a really interesting personality. One, he's a really fascinating guy to talk to if you actually let him talk. Um, like, and just like even down to Adaboyja. I remember I did a story on Adaboyja a few years ago when he's on the Ravens practice squad. Cause he was like eating by himself on Christmas Eve and this like just started sitting with his family or whatever. But like, he was a fascinating guy to talk to. Like, and I know yeah. probably every class has that in its own right, but y'all really did have like a very interesting like mesh of both personalities and different backgrounds in that class that you don't areas really. Areas in different areas of the country. Yeah, yeah for like, sure. Thing, you know? Yeah, it's, it, it was but like. It, it was me. We will get back to Ryan Buchanan in a second, but before we do, want to have a quick word with our sponsor, BetterHelp. That's right, BetterHelp. It is an online therapy service that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Therapy is just like any other routine part of maintenance. You wouldn't you know, neglect the oil change in your car or go get the brakes fixed or anything else, just like any other doctor's checkup. Therapy is just like that how we care for our minds affects how we live and our living experience you should try better help today there are no downsides to it, it is absolutely a root a core part of your routine bodily and well-being maintenance you need to check them out betterhelp.com slash mpw and you get 20 percent off check them out betterhelp.com slash mpw our podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. Absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. If you're a Rippy Ride subscriber, it's rippyrides.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me three to five times a week that I just started back this week. How about that? Go check out the uh, latest issue. That's rippyrides.substack.com. A lot of football notes in there as well. Probably have another one out for the people tomorrow as we get that off and running. But anyway, if you're a subscriber you get a newsletter for me plus discounted meats right now. And you get a free newsletter for me a couple of times a week, discounted and discounted meats right now. It's a 16 ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Football seasons around the corner, all kinds of great grilling opportunities. You need to go check them out. LB's is the best place in the Mississippi and the world for that matter to get meat, all kinds of delicious cuts, fresh seafood, sausages, uh, I like the tri-tip filet burgers are always awesome. Spicy ribeye sausage is terrific. Go find your own favorites. It's a staple of the Oxford community. The best place in the world. Oxford is so lucky to have LBs. Check them out. LBs University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Ryan Buchanan. The, uh, I'm not, I can't believe I've never asked you this. Were you in there for the, fa- the I don't know if you want to call this famous or infamous now, the 2012 Egg Bowl speech? where Freeze starts talking about if we can get a little help and then starts conveniently naming all the cities. Yeah, 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 that, yeah, I took a visit then. That was what was that sweet. like? <laughs> Were you all in the back? I mean, it, fired, it fired me up. Like, you know, he, he had some pretty fiery speeches. Oh, he, that man like, can speak. He can speak, and, like, Cody Pruitt is just always completely bought in, like, just, 
completely bought into Ole Miss. Like, and look, these guys too, like I would say the year above us, like Trey Elston and Cody, like they have pretty good 2012 12 years and players and like they're working to really, really recruit these guys. Like they're they're working hard to make them feel at home instead of like, you know, other bigger schools that may not take the time from current starters to care about recruits that are right. juniors in high school or seniors, whenever that was. And it was like, so you, that was a good mix. Like they definitely were bought in to help too. I just never I, – I can't believe I've never asked you if you're in the back for that because it, the funniest is the camera angle because people go watch that speech all the time. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a 17-year-old me. That fired me up. But, like, it's all the players. You can definitely tell there's recruits in the background, but you can't quite see them. And then he starts naming all the towns. And I'm like, yeah. oh, like Illinois, Georgia, Florida. Yeah, this is starting to add up. I think we can tell it's in the back of this room, which always cracked me the hell up. Good on Freeze. That guy – Again, he can sell a product, that is for sure. He would have had a career in <laughs> football, never uh, never worked out for him. Kind of bouncing around here to like a couple of different topics, just because we're kind of in like the dead of, of camp. There's not much more to talk about from like the quarterback race. I was thinking about this earlier. You were, we talked about this last time. You could transfer and you could do the waiver process and it was kind of a crapshoot, but they were starting to get a little more lenient. With this one-time free transfer now, have you ever thought about this? And if not, I'll just package it into a question. How much harder do you think it is to build chemistry with the team year to year with them as much new as guys have coming in and out? Like, I know a, like Ole Miss, a lot of it has been on the defensive side of the ball, but they have a ton of transfer receivers. Like how, yeah. how oversold or undersold is that building up a chemistry with receivers? I'm trying to think of a good example. Elijah Moore and Corral came in at the same time, even when they didn't play that first year, threw to each other a lot after practice that 2020 season was a couple years in the making for those two. It just mm-hmm. was, you don't have as much of that now. How important is that? And how much, how much more difficult it is to kind of get on the same page with receivers or linemen or whatever, when there's so much kind of fluctuation on the roster from that standpoint. I mean, I think you could definitely get on the same page if someone comes in January, you know, or before spring yeah. ball, because you go through a lot of throws in spring ball, you do seven on seven nonstop and throw nonstop in the summer, every single day. And you play some scrimmages in the spring, then you get some scrimmages in the fall. And then, you know, first couple games, you get used to them. I think you can. Um, but at the same time, it's like you can be really successful. I mean, you can – like Laquan had a great freshman year. Like you can, you can be successful. But, uh, you know, learning like how he does on certain man coverage, what routes are better. Like, you know, I'm used to his timing and stuff. But how he wins on certain situations, like I think some of that like look, you will get better. Yeah, you can be really successful and get used to each other. I don't think see it as a problem, but I see it as like a couple more bigger plays if uh, if they've been there every year together. That's a good way to describe it because I was thinking about the same thing because it's like obviously you're going to know the timing after a while, or at least you better if you're going to be a good team. But it's like that intangible of like I know where he likes this and X coverage or vice versa and what he's better at. I imagine three years into it, like you mentioned, that probably develops into another – you know, big player too, is the, like, would you have guys when you were a quarterback, whether it was you were behind Wallace or that 2015 year, did you have specific dudes that you would throw with after practice? I always hear these stories of like, you know, these two guys went through after practice to get on the same page or blah, blah, blah. Is it everybody or would you have two or three guys that you would kind of work with after practice to try to get on the same page type of thing? What does that actually look like? Yeah, no, it's definitely two or three guys. I mean, I'd throw with starters. I'd work you know, if Bo wasn't staying back, I'd throw with Laquan. I mean, I'd work fade balls over his outside shoulder, just constantly tracking and tracking. 
I'd work, you know, Evan on a little jump ball over the middle linebacker on a five, you know, five or ten yard line out and try to throw it at the right spot so he can time his jump. Like, you know, I would, and, you know, Bo would throw some too, but he also got a lot more reps during practice. So, like, he may not really need to. So, like, I think that was a position, like, as a backup, like, I'm going to make these guys better. Like, yeah, I may not be starting, but, like, I'm going to be there to make them better at their craft. And they need a guy who can spin it at the same velocity, timing route and all that. And because a coach like throwing, like, it's not the same. Like you just, you can't, they can't anticipate footballs in certain places. Like I would do that most of the starters and hell, I really, anybody, I mean, some second string guys, like I would find myself doing that a lot. Like, yeah, I know I'm not starting, but like I can help make them better. I would say. Speaking of Bo Wallace, I'm literally just kind of like spitballing here, but the, this is a simplistic question, but I think it'll probably generate a good answer. How tough is Bo Wallace? I feel like that was one of the more undersold parts of his career. You're in the room with him every day. Some of the injury stuff that guy won, battled through, and played through. Like, how would you best describe how tough that guy is? No, he, he's very tough. Like, almost like that dumb tough. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Uh, just doesn't even think about or anything. But, like, I mean, man, if you think about an SEC starter and you're playing for, you know, a big game that can help determine where you're going to fall in the West. You're playing in front of at least 60,000 people, whichever stadium you're going to. Like, it'd be hard to give that up. I mean, that's it's almost like that adrenaline rush. I mean, it's just hard to give that up. You may give that up, and the next guy tears it up. Like, you, the scheme for that week worked out perfect versus AM or LSU. And it's like every play they called right, guys roping kind of deal. And it's like, uh-oh, kind of lost my opportunity. Like, you really don't want to give that up. And and, and I think – and Bo's an extremely tough person. I mean, I've – I watched him. He definitely is. Speaking of that, the when you were early on and Bo was still the guy before it was kind of like you, Devontae, Chad Kelly, whatever's time, you had to go in at Arkansas in 2014 because as beat up as Bo became, I think it – was it an ankle deal that day? I can't remember what it was. It's in the rain at Arkansas. And he finally, yeah. obviously, he has to come out for a little bit because he rolls it or whatever – how tough of a situation is it? Because Altmaier dealt with this last year. I imagine you can give you some valuable experience, but I, this is ridiculous to say, but like how impossible of a situation is it? Because you come in, I remember kind of near your own goal line. It's raining. Yeah. You're kind of having a little bit of a field day up front. You're already down. What is that moment like when they're like, hey, man, you got to go do this? Like what, what was that like for you? Yeah, he. Uh, I mean, it's pretty – whatever, like, regardless of, like, freezing rain conditions or not. I mean, if you're down 21-3 and Laquan got hurt the last week, and it's just the mentality of, like, I guess whatever, second half, you know, after that happened. I mean, here's some of the offensive lines saying, like, F this. Like, man, we're done. Like, you're a backup being like, dude, no, let's go. Let's put on a scoring drive. Like, I don't care about your feelings, whatever. But at the same time, like, you haven't been the starter for eight games. Like, what do you – what do you say? Like, they're just, I mean, they're like, I don't want to go back out there. And it's like, you got Trey Flowers who's going to come up, come off the end. And look, it is what it is. I mean, it's like one thing that game, from what I remember, they had, they got a, we watched film on them throughout the years. We had time to watch them, but we weren't going to sure how they were going to play us from the year before because it was a different defensive coordinator. And they did a lot more zone blitzes and zone coverages compared to man. And a lot of our plays, like, I mean, both struggled in that game, really get going. Like, Everyone did. I mean, they had that that game had our number. I mean, Alabama was way easier to beat in 2014. Just oh, I mean, nasty anyway. Like they were easier shit to beat because excuse my language there, but like everything when we called a swing route, they were blitzing off the edge, and we threw a swing into a blitz. Um, you know, when we would go a counter option, 
they're biting on it. And then we have a nine yard gain, like things like that. Like we set up for something over the top and the safety finally bites down. You have a big 45 yard deep post. I think we stood events late. Like they, like our plays that we call are working perfectly for what we thought they were. Doing. Arkansas is not that it was just, it started off bad. It was tough to come in there and like, you know, you kind of get toward the end. I mean, you get, whoever you're back up or not. I mean, if you're down, get out 28-3 or whatever. It's like four verts, throw as far as you can. Like, I remember one time it was a slow go. Do I want to throw that? Like, you know, if you're within some fighting chance earlier in the game, like, I'm not going to throw that in a too high look. Coaches are yelling to you. I don't care what it is, throw it up. Well, that's going to be a pick. Or you throw, like, a vendor vertical route, like, just throw it down there. Like, I really don't want to, but that's what you're told to do, to pick or something like, you know, like, you don't really have those drives. And it was – it was a tough situation. They had our number. I mean, they, they had it from the beginning. Um, it wasn't what we schemed. And I just, I mean, yeah, it was definitely, it was a tough game. It was, it was, I think it was pretty tough. You know, there's probably some instances where a backup comes in and they can actually gain valuable experience. Like I would, I would equate probably some of the Baylor stuff for Altmaier because he was in there long enough and got to get in a rhythm and actually kind of right. yeah, yeah. the full football game. Whereas he had to come in for a couple of plays at Tennessee and then like two drives at Auburn particularly the Auburn one where things were already going terrible. They lost Drummond that night as well. I don't imagine, and I asked, actually asked Altmaier this this summer, and he, he gave a politically correct answer, good on him. But, like, I don't imagine there's actually a ton he can draw from that. Like, from that experience for you going and in against Arkansas, could you draw from that, or was that just kind of like, this is a terrible situation and I'm just going to do the best I can? I mean, I think you can, like, look, you, you can draw from it. But at the end of the day, like – I mean, it's good getting live experience. And, like, I yeah. wasn't – I mean, the only experience that I had was just handing the ball off the end of the game. Like, I wanted to go in when we were up 24 nothing or 21 on the team really beaten and get live reps to, like, score points. But I was never afforded that under freeze. Like, it was like we're not training them. So, like, I finally got that opportunity. And now, look, I can barely hold a football at 35, 36 degrees in the rain. But, like, I still think there's something I could take away from it. Like, going into Mississippi State that next week, I felt more confident, even though it wasn't a success. Like, I felt more confident if I just start and, and Bo couldn't go in that game. And, like, look, that game, our game plan was great, man. You know, we had that long sweep to Jalen uh, Walton. Like, you, you can have that big run play quarterback doing anything besides just tossing football, you know, like a right. pitch. But, yeah, right. that much momentum. You're at a home crowd. Everyone's fired up. Your line's fired up for the next series. They're going to fight hard. Like, it is such a change. Uh, like you can get really good. I feel like experience. You can get good experience. Things go bad. You got to. But like actually improving and learning to win. Like at least having guys still in there, knowing a fighting chance. But like after that loss to LSU before it was Laquan, and then going down by that much Arkansas in those horrible conditions. Like kind of knowing where we may finish up, and we weren't supposed to be in that situation. It was definitely like you can learn from it mentally, but it's hard to show what you can physically and like get real, real good experience that way. Yeah, that's kind of the point, too, because you were talking about, like, whether it's a success or not. Like, in that situation, it's almost hard to define success. Like, what does that actually look like? You're thrusting into an impossible situation. That's I remember writing about Altmaier after that Baylor game. Like, I thought the kid acquitted himself pretty well. It wasn't, you know, some dominant performance where, like, damn, that was impressive. But he was also fine. It's very hard to gauge success like that when the backups. I thought that was successful, too. I mean, I, I was sitting around. I think yours was fine, too. Exactly. Like, that were sick. Well, I was like, man, like. Like, I get the tipped ball by the DN, the pick six. That, 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 man, that sucks. But, like, he played, completed a good dig over the middle for like a 14 yard throw. And, like, 
look pretty commanding later. Like I kind of took that away. Like, man, that was good that he got that experience. Did you ever have a major injury as a quarterback? I don't ever remember you actually getting hurt. Were you pretty healthy pretty much the entire time? Yeah, I mean, I was, I, I was, I was, I was pretty healthy. I mean, it was just like concussions and stuff. The reason I asked that is I was listening, looking back at some dart stuff um, a couple weeks ago, and I, when when talking to his trainer back in the winter, what I didn't realize was I asked him a question, and he kind of like not put me in my place, but he was like, actually, that's not correct. Like this guy's actually very good mobility wise, and is good out of structure. But the problem is you didn't see that at USC because he came back six weeks removed from a meniscus tear. And this is kind of mm-hmm. on the subject of like Bo being tough for any quarterback. You saw whatever the case may be, like the. The, the fan on Saturdays watching on TV or watching in the stands, they probably read about how the guy's got a hurt shoulder during the week. But when it comes time on Saturday, that doesn't factor into the equation. Like that guy either performs or it doesn't. Whereas you, that someone in the room, on the field, on the sideline, whatever, knows how bad X guy's shoulder is killing him. Like, did you ever yeah. notice when you were playing the discrepancy was what people expected versus the injury the guy was actually dealing with, if that makes any sense? Man, uh, not really, uh, because you get, you know, Tordal's a strong shot. I've heard wonderful things about very that. Very powerful thing. Like, it's amazing what Drunley can hide. When you got that many people watching you, the only time you would not go is, like, you do a three-step drop and your ankle gives out. It's like it wasn't even hurt. You know, it probably yeah. is really hurting, but you don't know it's hurting, but it just gives out and you can't perform. Like, that's what's going to happen when, like, you can't play. Like, physically, you can't do anything but like pain wise is typically you know it may hurt but it, it's gonna hurt like on the sideline but then you go out and you go live trying to get away with it yeah that's funny you say that because i want everyone everyone i asked that question to that particularly that played is like well that tortoral shot my god um but like dart i was talking to someone that knew him and this is something i'm still working on for a piece he gets hurt after that washington state game or actually during it where he throws four touchdown passes he ends up missing the next five weeks but i the person I was talking to told me like he was so pumped after that game. Like he thinks he's kind of finally arrived. Like he's on a high, they shot him up with Tortorol and he's like, we'll figure the knee thing out later. Well, figuring the knee thing out later, he gets an x-ray the next morning. It's like, actually you got a meniscus tear, a grade three MCL sprain. Like this is, this is not great, but like, it's so wild to me that he continues to play two and a half quarters of football on that. Cause he's just numbed everything. And yeah. in the sheer elation after the game, he still doesn't realize it. He's like, this is awesome. It's I'll true. Everything out, and it's like, yeah, actually, your knees actually really screwed up. Like, yeah, it's exactly. amazing. I mean, it really is a gladiator sport in that sense. That's so wild because there's really not many other sports where you play through those kind of injuries, just kind of getting through three hours off a high, right? Yeah, no, not really. I mean, I mean, if, if golf you got a little sore back, it's actually probably gonna make a difference in going within like. Exactly. Feet or like missing the green, and it's like, yeah, I mean, like it's a real thing. Like it's like, oh, fight through it, but like it impedes my performance to a very high degree. Like that in a sense, like football, if it's not giving out completely, like, yeah, it's pain, but you can hide it, but it won't affect it as much. There's so much adrenaline. Yeah. The moral of this story is let's legalize recreational tortoral. I don't even actually know what that looks like. (laughs) (laughs) I'll never have a sore back again in golf. (laughs) Hey, I got, I got an 18 hole match today. Like come shoot me up at Walgreens and we'll head to the range type of deal. (laughs) (laughs) A little hmm. rapid fire before we get out of here. I had three questions written down from that kind of golden freeze era just to ask you. Did Robert Kimdichie yeah. <clears throat> ever just walk up and say something to you to where you're like, oh, my God, I'm high just from listening to that? What was he talking about? Do you have a, do you have a great Robert Kimdichie story? 
Robert would kind of keep to himself. Like okay. he would do his own things with him and Denzel. Like he'd even live with us freshman year at our dorm with all of us. Like he was gone, like staying at Denzel's and stuff. Like he really, I would like hear about this. They're like on the team and stuff. Like what, what is he doing? He's playing saxophone on the side, like <laughs> whatever. Like he would, but like we're living together, like he was probably the only dude that like, because I guess he had an older brother on the team, like was not like around us as much. We kind of do his own thing. But like, I remember freshman year, like, we worked out, and I remember seeing him like having like eight pack his quads poking out of his legs. And I'm like, "What position do you play again?" Like, <laughs> what is that? And he's like, "Damn, you are defensive line." My gosh, it's it, I'll never forget to the, that 2015 Alabama game when you guys went and beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa was arguably the best game of his career. There's a couple others up mm-hmm. there, but that's certainly up there. He was an absolute freak that night. Well, he comes in. We used to we used to only get quarterback and coach on Mondays and then we'd get you know kind of actually the start of the game sometimes on Tuesdays well Robert comes in there and he starts talking about the stars I think he mentioned the tide there was a Grateful Dead reference in there and it was it was very like he you could tell he's being genuine and like it's interesting to hear him talk but then he walks out of the room and somebody goes does anybody know what he just said and another guy was like nope and it was like, whoa, that is this is a different cat. And like, you know, sometimes you need that on a team. You need like the weird guy where it's like, we don't know what he's up to, but as long as his mind's right, just to, this physical specimen that that guy was, when he walked out to that Vanderbilt game the first time, just looking at his uh, like, like legs, I was like, this, this is, was this guy made in a lab? Like you don't really see guys like that often. You see the rare few of them in the NFL, obviously on Sundays, but like one of those type dudes, you know him when you see him, right? It kind of takes you aback. And I imagine even you as an actual football player who's in that moment, your job is to dodge that guy when he's blitzing you, not actually Kim Dietschy, but guys like that. You're like, holy hell, like where where were you made? There's no way this is a human. Yeah, I mean, out of a factory. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 rough. What uh, On film, the craziest guy you ever had to prepare for, whether like bow year or whatever, where you're like, oh my God, this dude is a problem. Do you remember one guy that sticks out defensive on was? Oh, defensive line, not really. Like, I remember I was – I mean, Landon Collins was a good safety. I remember watching that, like, watching what he would do. But, like, honestly, defensive line, I mean, like, we would do read options. We're not pulling the ball unless it's absolutely obvious. Like, I don't have to study that that much. I mean, that's more of a – like, I'm trusting my line. I mean, honestly, I'm trusting my line. I'm just watching the fronts. Like, I'm not memorizing a guy. I'm watching if they're a five-front eagle – or whatever they're set up, because sometimes they can tell me what the coverage is behind it, and I'm just going to trust my guys. Miles Garrett, what was it like prepping for him? Because that, you know, everyone made a bunch of him in that Tunso matchup, but that's the closest thing I could think of that you might answer. It was like, yeah, no, I mean, there was no, there wasn't much running on the outside. Let's, yeah. let's, let's just, where there, where there's a lot of inside the tackle. There's probably more pistol that week. Like, we're not, we're not doing a slide where I watch Miles either give it or keep it because he could probably tackle both of us with his wingspan. Like, that's going to just be a completely different game plan. Um, and then just quicker passes, you know, over the middle stuff. You just find ways to avoid it in your game plan. Makes sense. The offensive line, I tried to get Rawlings to talk to me about this, but he won't. I've heard some stories from back before my time about dudes that shit talk on the offensive line and piss off the defense. I imagine you as the quarterback. Well, you obviously you have your hand on the center's ass. You can't be that far away from him. Can you guys hear that? And as a quarterback, did you enjoy that, or were you like, "Please shut up, for this guy kills me"? 
No, I mean, it was like, I, honestly, you're listening to so many other things. Like, yeah, I guess that's true. You I'm trying to remember, cool. like, I mean, I'm, I'm going, like, where's the safety? Where's this? Like, I'm sliding the line to the right, and I'm going to go. I mean, I need to slide the line opposite. There's going to be a field missile blitz coming this way. Let's go that way. All right, I got two seconds left. Snap the ball. So, probably not. You know, the deep offensive line is listening if I'm sliding them right or sliding them left or going man on. So, but, no, I, I just didn't really pick it up. I mean, if you get hit, like, I remember, like, I would get more bad at least in other sports in high school because, like, in football, like, if you get knocked out or some guys talking shit, like, I don't have time to freaking right. go back because I have to find a signal. Like, there's so much stuff that's about to go through my head. And I'm like, okay, I don't care. You make a joke about my mama. Like, I got to go, man. Like, <laughs> if it's an up-tempo offense. <laughs> On the flip side of that, one of those, the one of thing I love about like the NFL films when they mic those guys up is like, obviously you think like the huddle is so serious and 99% of the time it is, but dudes like Gronk will come in after like he laid someone out and like the, there's NFL, there's a classic NFL films clip where like they're in the middle of a game, I think it's second half and like Brady's calling the play, but Gronk's just giggling because he just ruined some guy's life on the other side on a block. And he's just laughing yeah. and like Edelman's like, yeah, Gronk, you're a beast. Like just standing there right in the huddle as he's laughing. Did you ever have dudes like that that would like, I don't know if icebreakers the right way, but would you ever just have dudes that would deadpan shit in the huddle that would kind of ease? Oh, the yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you definitely would. If you huddle up, like defensive type offense, if you're huddling up like you always did in the NFL, you're melting the clock, you got more time to talk. Like no doubt. I mean, it's just if you're like in the heat of a game competing, you got to – uh you know, you have an up-tempo offense. You got to go, 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 go kind of deal. But, yeah, you're winding the clock down and melting. Yeah, you could definitely happen. Last thing before we get out of here, the uh, high school football season has started back up. Kind of what you got going on training kids-wise. Do you enjoy this time of year? What's this type of year type uh, type of time of year? God, I can't talk today. Like for you when the quarterback and some of the guys you train get going again. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I'll probably – try to catch a game or two with some different guys. Uh, you know, a lot of our training and, like, I would do a lot more throws and routes first air leading up to their two-a-days, which is probably two weeks ago since now. You know, guys started last week and, and, and other kids are, uh, you know, starting this week. Uh, I saw a couple kids, you know, they're getting so many throws during the week. Like, I'm just doing tune-ups. Like, I'm watching, you know, front shoulder stays closed through a throw. I'm watching their front, you know, step foot. Does have a good knee band? Like, how's their torque in their hips? Like, is everything staying connected? How's their balance? How's their weight transfer? Just, like, real, real small stuff that I don't need a ball in their hand. I don't need to go out and, like, film them and do routes first day. Like, I think that's pointless that quarterback trainers do that. And, you know, whatever, always trying to hype up some of their kids. Like, that's not what they need. They're about to throw an absolute ton of balls this week. So, like – it's just a lot of film work and film filming and then reviewing with these guys and just tuning up and making sure everything looks good. He is Ryan Buchanan, quarterback extraordinaire, quarterback trainer, former SEC quarterback, MIS legend. At least I left it for last this time. I appreciate the time, my man. I'm looking forward to the season. We'll do this again here in a week or so. Yeah, it'll be fun. Appreciate it. All right, that was Ryan Buchanan. I appreciate his time. As always, looking forward to a fun season, chatting with the old uh, QB as we uh, get – deeper into sec play probably bring out some old hugh free stories from him and a lot of different stuff so looking forward to it glad ryan's on board as part of the mbw digital family during the fall we'll be back at it in the midweek hopefully with some opponent previews and a couple different things down the pipe as we wind down this preseason part of the football year anyway we'll be back at it probably wednesday or thursday and then another show toward the weekend again before getting back on a regular schedule game week next week. Y'all have a great middle part of your week and we'll uh, holler at you soon.